Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my soul. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I am a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you, and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them, and I pray you of your unlawful mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings in death, and your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, simple being. Upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I therefore forgive you all of your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
by your gracious visitation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The reading of Holy Scripture. The Old Testament reading for the second Sunday in Advent is from the prophet Isaiah, the 40th chapter. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, 
Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I say, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. And he will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. reading from 2nd Peter the third chapter but do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Will you stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read? The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel of the Lord. Together we confess our holy Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Advent prophet Isaiah, the 40th chapter, the first two verses which read, Comfort, comfort ye my people, says the Lord. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Years ago, indeed before the turn of the last century, in the Old West, where revival meetings were quite popular, there was a preacher who was very well known for his fire and his brimstone delivery of God's word, and he would rant and he would rave about the sinner's sin, as indeed he should do. He would rant and rave about the sinner's impending doom, and the people then, having heard him preach, would leave their revival tent meetings terribly frightened, understandably, shaking in their boots. Native Americans from a nearby reservation were invited to hear him preach too, and so they went to one of his tent meetings. Again, his strong voice, the stern look upon his face, made him indeed a terrifying picture to behold for them, and after the meeting the tribe's chief was asked what he thought, to which he responded and said, high wind, big thunder, no rain. He had a point to make. He had heard the law of God preached most effectively, a law which indeed had caused him to tremble. His heart may well have been prepared for the gentle rain of the gospel to fall, but sad to say that gospel never came. And this indeed is the preacher's timeless task and challenge in every generation to preach that law of God until we feel so uncomfortable with ourselves and with our sins and with our petty little works of self-righteousness that we feel so uncomfortable with who we are, what we have done, what we haven't done, where we would of ourselves and in and of ourselves alone stand in the presence of God, that we would indeed be most uncomfortable. But then at just the right time, after that law has been rightly preached, then at just the right time to comfort the uncomfortable sinner with the gospel of Jesus Christ that assures him that in Christ all of his sins are indeed forgiven him and in Christ's righteousness we can indeed stand unafraid in the presence of God. The timeless task of preaching. You see, the sequence and the timing are so vitally important the gospel of forgiveness, which is crucial to our eternal salvation, cannot be preached until, first of all, the law of God has done its work, its tutorial work, as St. Paul calls it, of bringing the sinner to Jesus Christ, that there he might hear of the righteousness that he has, not in himself, but in Christ and in Christ alone. The gospel, indeed, must be preached, but after the law has been preached, but then once it has been, the gospel must indeed, indeed be preached or the sinner himself despairs and is lost. Consider the prophet Isaiah. In our Advent text today, and you see the same process happening for so long, it had been necessary for Isaiah to be a preacher of God's judgment. It was necessary for him because the people to whom he was preaching were so obstinate in their sins, they were so complacent about them, they refused repeatedly to repent of them. 
They had gone their own way like sheep, as Isaiah would later say. They'd grown comfortable in their prosperity, and as far as they were concerned, God had absolutely no reason to be uncomfortable with them. Sounds like a current generation, perhaps it sounds like every generation, doesn't it? That we become so comfortable with ourselves that we are convinced that God has no reason to be uncomfortable with us. After all, the people back then had done their religious thing every week. They did what they thought would be necessary, and yet their righteousness, their acts of righteousness, as Isaiah says, is, was filthy rags unto the Lord. Isaiah had told them that they had served the Lord with their lips, but their hearts were far away from him. They were going through the external motions, but there was no repentance of heart. There was no eager awaiting for the Savior to come. In fact, in the chapter before our text for today, God had commanded Isaiah to go up to the king of the people, to King Hezekiah, to announce God's judgment upon Israel. All that is in your house, he said to the king, and all that your father stored up until this very day shall be carried away into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Those are words of impending judgment because of the sins of the people. And so it was, just as Isaiah said it would be. And Israel was taken captive into Babylon. And sadly, after long decades of captivity, the people of Israel heard no word from God. There was only slavery and silence and sorrow. How Isaiah, who loved the people dearly, must have yearned to be able to comfort the people, but he couldn't comfort them too soon and too quickly. How he must have ached inside to, to see them month after month and year after year gradually growing more desperate and more depressed, but it had to be, it took that long for Israel's pride in itself to be broken. It took that long for the people to take their sins seriously and to see how devastating sin really is when it isn't taken seriously. And then when they were at the brink of despair and they had no hope in themselves or in their own acts of righteousness, but could only hope for the undeserved and unmerited grace of God and that alone to save them, then God says to his prophet, now, now the time has come. Now the time has come for you to say, comfort. Comfort ye my people, speak kindly to Jerusalem, God says to Isaiah. Call out her to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has indeed received double for all of her sins. You see, God had not forsaken his people, though it perhaps seemed to the people for so long that he was distant, far distant from them. But all through that long course of their captivity, he was doing what he had to do. He was preparing them to receive and to be grateful for the greatest news that would ever come to mankind, the news that would come to them in the person and in the work of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Timing was so essential and so important until they had first tasted the bitterness of their own sins and their own futile attempts at righteousness, they would have no hunger for the comfort that God alone could give 
and that Christ alone would bring. As long as they treated sin lightly and thought that it was nothing to be concerned with and that God could be comfortable with them in their sin, their hearts felt no need for the remission of sins and for the forgiveness of sins that would indeed be there for them for the righteousness of the coming Messiah that would make them holy in God's presence. And isn't that the problem in our day too? So many view sin so lightly, view it all too lightly. For example, a man registering at a hotel in San Francisco had something interesting to say. That he, he said that as he was signing his name to the register, his eye caught sight of a small pamphlet that was off to his right-hand side. And he took the pamphlet, and the title of the pamphlet read, Where to Sin in San Francisco. And inside of the pamphlet, there was a whole list of 20 or more different places that you could go to. Doesn't surprise us that dozens of establishments might be listed. You see, the advertising agent responsible knew the nature of man well. He understood man's sinful nature. He understood that most people in our society consider sin as being more or less synonymous with having fun. And isn't that the way that all too many view it in our day? As simply letting go of a few outdated, moralistic rules so that you can be free to enjoy yourself. Being freed from the shackles of guilt that have been placed upon you by some patriarchal religion. To guiltlessly then be able to do whatever that you might choose to do. To do what comes to you so naturally. Those who view sin so lightly, those who think of it simply as a breaking of a few rules for the fun of it, don't see that sin is the most serious of conditions. Sin is a condition that's within us, that our outward acts are merely evidences of, manifesting outwardly what is there within, that sin is a condition that would separate us from God eternally, a condition that scars our lives and the lives of others here and now, obviously feeling no need at all to be comforted because of sin or forgiven because of it, and sad to say they won't be ready for it until, like Israel of Isaiah's day, sin has all but devastated their lives. And then on the brink of disaster, of personal disaster that comes in one form or the other, when they finally see what their sins have done to their lives and to the lives of others when they're desperate and they come to realize that they can't lift themselves up from it but it must indeed be someone else who lifts them out of the mire into which they've gotten themselves and they're as low as you can possibly go without going under forever then they're ready at that point when they despair of all else of being comforted with God's word and with God's forgiveness that is in Christ Otherwise, they won't see it for what it is. But tell me, why do people wait so long? Why do they wait until it's nearly too late? Doesn't that say something, too, about the condition and the nature of man? Must there be an ugly trail of broken homes and broken hearts and broken people before a man is ready to be comforted and to be forgiven by the Son of God? It's not God's desire that things be that way. And that's why he gives us the word of his law. 
so that we sinners can forego so much of the pain and the suffering, even if we would see it for what it is. It's meant indeed to protect the people of God, but it's all even as it's meant to, to lead sinners to the gospel of Christ. Our sins would surely bring us to destruction were it not for the fact that God intercedes and comes to us in our time of need. If only man would not stubbornly and persistently reject God's word of warning, but hear that word of warning and let it do its work of humbling us, then we wouldn't indeed have to be so devastatingly humbled by the tragic consequences of sin as it plays itself out in our lives. God's law can prepare, you see, a man's heart so that it's ready to receive God's word of comfort. And what a word of comfort it is. After the devastation of sin has so often done its work within a man's life, how comforting a word it is. Finally, listen again to what God comforted the people of Israel with through the words of the prophet Isaiah. Tell her, he says, that her warfare now has ended. Tell her that her warfare with God has ended because now there's a reconciliation with God that has taken place. As St. Paul says, though we were once enemies, God has reconciled us and he's indeed, he's made us his friends through Christ. Tell her that her iniquity has been removed from her. Tell her that she has received from the Lord's hand, from the Lord's hand, double for all of her sins. And that same word of comfort applies to every sinner today, to you and to me, to every sinner that's out there, no matter how great our sins might be, because the eternal Son of God became man, as we celebrate in this coming Christmas season, because that eternal Son of God became man, and because of what that God-man, Jesus Christ, did upon the cross of Calvary, our iniquity, as Isaiah says, has been removed far from us. Because of him, we have received, Isaiah says, double for all of our sins, double forgiveness, double payment. The sacrifice that Christ made for you upon the cross of Calvary, the sacrifice that has brought us so much, was of such great value that it could pay for all of the sins of every man, of every woman, of every child who has ever lived on planet Earth and who will ever live twice over. The blood of Christ is of such value that it could pay for every sin committed by all twice over. No one then ever need think for a moment that his sin is so great that it must be excluded from God's pardon or that he must do something extra to add to what Christ has already done. No sinner ever need fear that he is so sinful that he can't possibly be included in God's word of comfort. For God has said that we again, or he has received from the Lord's hand double for all of our sins. And as if that weren't enough to give God's people not only comfort, but joy in this time when we receive that, there's still even more because God's comfort doesn't end with the pardon of our sins, which indeed is the most important part of it. But he delivers that to us day in and day out, through his word that we hear, week in and week out, through the sacrament that we receive, God pardoning his people, removing our sins from us, and then strengthening us 
through that word and sacrament that we receive that we might be able to go out and to encounter and engage the world in which we live and to overcome those things that would otherwise attempt to bring us down. The ordinary problems of life that we feel, those things that we're wasted by. Sometimes don't you feel that you're up to here with a certain problems that even God's people encounter in life? And that you're wasted and you're wearied and you're worn by such things as family problems or work-related problems or physical problems or financial problems or the varied problems and pressures of life and you're wondering, where's God's comfort now? When you find yourself feeling that way, remember what the word comfort means. It doesn't mean that God will instantly remove things from you in life that bring you difficulty and make you indeed uncomfortable for a time. It does mean that he will give you the strength to overcome that which makes you uncomfortable. You see, the word comfort comes from the Latin term confortere. And in that word confortere is the word forte, like in fort, like strength. To strengthen you considerably is what the word really means. God will comfort you. He will strengthen you considerably so that you'll be able to engage and then in his name and in his strength overcome the problems and the challenges of life that are there. As James Christensen once wrote, the purpose of Christianity is not to avoid difficulty, but it's to produce a character in Christ's people adequate to meet that difficulty when it comes. It does not mean that life is easy, rather it means and it makes us in Christ's strength great enough for life. That's the comfort for daily living that God promises each and every one of us today, a strength that's sufficient for this day. As thy days are, so shall thy strength be. God's strength being made perfect in our weakness. That's why each day God's people would find themselves in need of a new measure of God's strength in our lives. If we didn't need that new strength from God day after day and for each day we'd become perhaps too comfortable. And those who are too comfortable soon find that they don't feel a need at all for God's comfort. And they become more and more dependent and less dependent upon it. It was a late autumn evening during World War II and the entire city of London was lying there in inky darkness because of the threats, of course, from Germany at the time. An enforced blackout was there. And after the evening meal was over, a London father invited his eight-year-old son to take a walk with him outside to get a breath of fresh air. And together they walked down the darkened streets of London in silence until suddenly the lad remarked as if he had made some amazingly new and unexpected discovery. He said, Dad, I never even saw those stars over the city out there until the lights went out. And how true it is, not only of those dark nights over London in World War II, but also of the dark nights that often settle over our individual homes and our individual nights and our individual lives. In the broad daylight of prosperity, when everything is going our way, when health and wealth and happiness are all around us, who needs comforting? But when the lights grow faint, and when health and wealth aren't what they were, 
when sadness and sickness and disappointment set in, then who can get along without God's comfort? Certainly not God's people. Then, once again, they long to hear, Comfort, comfort ye my people, says thy God. And that comfort is ours because of him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
approach God's throne of grace through the mediation of Christ Jesus, his Son, praying for the whole church of God in Christ and for all people according to their need. We pray. For the continued comfort of the spoken and sacramentally given assurance of iniquities pardoned, in the peace that is ours because Christ Jesus reconciled God with mankind, we give our highest thanks. And we ask that God continue to supply unto his new Jerusalem heralds to proclaim the good news with strength of conviction and voices lifted up, and that his people receive the word with eagerness. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That God would, by his word of law, level the pride of our hearts and lead us to repentance, and that by his tender word of sins forgiven, he would lift up all of those downtrodden and convicted by sin, and that as people forgiven, we might, enabled by his Holy Spirit and in newness of life, live lives walking in the ways befitting God's people. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the support of our earthly governmental leaders, including our president, the president-elect, our governor, and all who make and administer and judge our laws, that God would give them the ability to make and enact decisions in accord with their callings and consistent with the constitution of our land. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That the Lord of the church would work through his people here in this place to encourage and embolden and assist and comfort his people in other lands in which his people face harsher persecution for the sake of Christ's name. And that through the fire of trial his word would cling, his people would cling by grace ever to the promises of his word which will indeed stand forever. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy that the God of all comfort would bestow it upon those among us who are sick or infirmed or battling disease or ailment or being treated for it, including Paul Duell and Marguerite Helt and Dick Much and Robert and Dorothy Latham, Hugh Ryan, also Kari Stanginis, who recovers from surgery and who gives thanks with husband Magnus for procedures successfully performed. We pray that our Lord would continue to them and we thank him that he's promised to continue to his own the grace sufficient for each trial he allows to grace our lives. And we thank him for the confession of the faith that these his people silently declare in their struggles. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray that God grants comfort to all of his people who mourn, particularly to Paul Duell, who mourns the loss of his sister. We pray that all of God's people would cast all of their cares upon him in their grief, knowing and trusting that he certainly cares for them. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We give thanks that the incarnate Son of God comes into our midst today, even in his risen body and blood, under the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, that he might be received in faith for the pardon of our iniquity and the strengthening of faith and hope in him and love for one another. And we ask that God, who has prepared hearts to receive him, would ever prepare ours to receive him in this sacramental banquet with repentance and thanksgiving and rejoicing in and not despising the unity of our confession declared by it. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. 
for faith during this Advent season to wait patiently for the, for the welcome and glorious second coming of our dear Lord Jesus, knowing that he is not slack concerning his promise, but is a, is a God patient unto the world, wishing that all would come to, to repentance and trust in his work upon the cross alone for the certainty of life everlasting. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you holy Lord Almighty Father everlasting God through Jesus Christ our Lord whose way John the Baptist prepared proclaiming him the promised Messiah the very Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and calling sinners to repentance that they might escape from the wrath to be revealed when he comes again in glory Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, 
when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen.
thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift. And we implore you that of your mercy, you would strengthen us through the same, in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.